politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for life, liberty, property, the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for a brand new week. And while everyone else, at least today, among my colleagues, will likely be talking about at least some issue that matters, the border invasion, the Langford betrayal, political adultery bill that basically legalizes all illegal immigration. But will they discuss it in the way it matters at the time it matters? And that's what you're going to get here. That's why I need you guys to support CR Podcast by sending this, first of all, first of all to everyone you know, and second of all, giving us a five-star rating with a comment on iTunes, because this is where we are today. We are, like I said, an army that's been fighting the left army for years, realizing that all our generals are part of the problem and they're tossing the fight. They're purposely giving us over to the hands of the invading enemy. But then came along a movement led by a man in 2016 that in the middle of the night took a needle, a vaccine, let's just call it a intellectual vaccine, and jabbed every person that was kind of red-pilled into realizing that we need to get rid of our own leadership to get a new army to fight the existing army that we have to fight. And they made them retarded and just ineffective, unfocused, all focused on one man. So in a vacuum, we might all be saying the same things, but we're not. So we'll start off, obviously, everyone's talking about this Langford bill. And, you know, everyone's rightfully criticizing it and rightfully criticizing the man behind it. And people are even asking, how is it that from a state like Oklahoma, where Republicans have not lost, I believe, a single county in a presidential election since the year 2000, just like West Virginia, by the way. And yet we have someone like Lankford. Well, I'll tell you how we have so unlike Langford. You see, I've been around long enough at this point that there is not a single rhino in the Senate that I didn't do everything I could to fight them. In other words, any rhino that got elected after, you know, at least after like 2008 from a red state, I could tell you I tried the best I could to preempt their ability to even get to the Senate and to certainly fight them in their re-election. But it was always a handful of us doing that, and none of the people with the biggest platforms, biggest organizations, biggest um, you know, access to donors, obviously Fox News, they never supported us and always strategically allowed all these guys while they're in cycles. So you notice James Langford is not in cycle now. So he kind of does the screwball, but the ones who are in cycle, they're they're quiet, like Roger Wicker. So all my colleagues are man, you saying, man, yeah, what the heck, James Langford, he needs to go. Yeah, well, he was just re-elected with Trump's endorsement in 2022, so he got a while. But we have someone that is to the left of James Langford, actually several people, Kramer in North Dakota and Wicker in Mississippi. And yet, 
Waker is up for renomination March 12th. Okay? And we have a Freedom Caucus state legislator challenger, Dan Eubanks. We had him, had him on the show on Friday. How many of my other colleagues are going to have him on their shows? Imagine if everyone would be all hands on deck. Oh my gosh, we have all these red state senators that are screwing us. How could this be? Everyone agrees. You're going to hear that everywhere today. But then somehow when it's right in front of you in the way it actually matters at the time it matters, there's nowhere to be seen. And in fact, we have Meta Trump endorsing them, endorsing them when it actually matters. And again, to be clear, it doesn't have to be this way. Because the few times we got Trump focused on making the right endorsement, almost always where it's personal, that's all he cares about, it usually worked. Not always, but usually. In other words, we don't need to win 100% of primaries. Right now, we're winning less than 1% of them. So certainly, if you got Trump's endorsement on the right side, rather than the wrong side, it would be more than 50%. So that's what nobody is talking about. We have a primary coming up right now, and yet Trump continues to endorse the incumbents when he should be endorsing our guys, at minimum staying out of it. So how many of these people crying about Langford today will do what I'm doing? None. Because in fact, they didn't do it when it actually mattered. So how is it we have a guy like Langford? Well... You see, let me take you back to January 20th, 2014. Okay, just about a decade ago. Tom Coburn was sick with cancer and he resigned his Senate seat. And I was warning people, I said, look, we have a good guy. There were two congressmen who wanted to run. There was also the Speaker of the House at the time, uh, of the Oklahoma House. One was James Langford from the Oklahoma City area. And one was Jim Bridenstine of the Tulsa area. Now, Jim was only going to get in the race if he could get enough support. Of course, I supported him, but few others did. So he didn't get in the race. This is from Fox News. Um, Well, actually, no, I was reading the article from The Hill. I have the one from The Hill uh, pulled up here. But I'm going to read the one from Fox. I'm just looking for that because... You know, Fox is what matters, right? So, Lankford is a quintessential status quo Republican, Daniel Horowitz, policy director of the Madison Project, wrote after the two-term congressman's announcement. Horowitz and his group take issue with several Lankford votes, including the one in favor of the budget bill Congress passed last month. And he warns that Lankford will likely become the GOP establishment candidate supporting the amnesty for millions of illegal immigrants living in the United States and be capable of reversing the country club culture of Senate Republicans. I'm sorry, incapable of reversing. And then, you know, I was supporting Jim Bridenstine to to run that time. So I not only warned that he was a problem, I warned he would work on amnesty. And indeed, indeed, he worked on amnesty for the remainder of his time in the Senate. Ever since, I mean, he was working on it. There's quotes from me in 2018. I was hitting him working on that because um, I was making a point back then, and you see this a little bit with Mike Pence. There's a certain type of evangelical that we're all unfortunately aware of. Uh, he was a Southern Baptist pastor where 
rather than fighting hardcore on the homosexual agenda, I mean, Lankford actually has been a little bit better on that than some others. So again, Lankford is actually to the right of Kramer and Wicker and Deb Fisher and Barrasso and maybe he's on par with Barrasso and uh, Ricketts in, in Nebraska. Those are the five rhinos from deep red states up for renomination this cycle for whom Trump has endorsed all of them and we or most of them and we don't have uh, you know, any legitimate kind of support behind challengers, except for me. But I pointed out that Langford was into this business of, well, we got to be compassionate at the border. He always talked about that. And uh, also on jailbreak too. Jesus wants second chances, you know, that nonsense when, of course, it's already built into our criminal justice system, 10 chances. So that was with Langford. Now, just so you know, this is not a matter of, well, you know, he feels like he needs to make a deal to do something, something, you know, that's that's the line they say we have to do something. But in fact, it's not just because you have to work with Democrats, even if Democrats didn't exist. Ideologically, this is what Langford believes. I knew he believed that 10 years ago because he was in the House for a few years, like three, four years um, before then. And I knew what he stood for because, you know, believe it or not, I actually know what deep state, deep red state Republicans stand for. You know, that I know that, you know, most voters don't. But if we're going to be conservative thought leaders, shouldn't we kind of know that? So I made it my business to know that. But my colleagues with low IQs don't. So, you know, these guys just win. And, you know. Obviously, we had no ability to get rid of him in 2016. So, you know, that was just to fill out Coburn's term. Then he was up 2016. But then he was up again 2022. And by the way, he voted against us on January 6th. He has said a lot of things about Trump that weren't so flattering. But Trump endorsed him in 2022. So now we're stuck with him for for a long time. A long time. And everyone's like, yeah, we're going to get rid of him. Newsflash, you're not going to get rid of him. Because let me tell you something. There's another man named John Hoven. He's a North Dakota senator. He was, I believe, elected in 2010. So he's on the same schedule as uh, 2016, 2022, 2028. Same cycle as Langford. And he was the one who had the Corker Hoven bill. If you remember, he was the final iteration of the Gang of the Gang of Six Amnesty Bill, and it actually passed the Senate in 2013. I mean, horrible, horrible bill. Do you know that he was re-nominated and re-elected from a deep red state twice following that, and he won't be up again until 2028 because we suck. And that should... See, this is the part that my colleagues won't tell you. Oh, it's terrible what Langford's doing. But how did we get here? And what should we do from here, both in terms of primaries and also in terms of policy strategy, both at the federal level and in red states? And we'll get to that. Um, but first, our sponsor today, um, you know, using the Internet without our friends at ExpressVPN is sort of like not paying attention to the safety demo on the flight. You know, you know most people don't pay attention to that. And, you know, because you probably won't need it. But if one day you do and that weird yellow mask drops down, you got a big problem. And it's the same thing. We, you know, except the difference is that we surf the internet pretty much all day and use the internet all day, use our computer all day. Financial details, political details, passwords, you name it. 
just know you're being tracked. Just know um, that if you're on an unencrypted, unencrypted network, that is all, um, you know, easily. By the way, like my my son is a computer whiz. He's 13 years old. He could easily, easily, um, you know, just with cheap hardware, hack in, and he does annoying things sometimes to prank us, which is annoying. Um, so anyone could do this. So when it, when you switch to ExpressVPN, you get an encrypted tunnel. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so hackers can't steal your sensitive data. Um, they would really need a, comp- a supercomputer over a billion you know, years to get a ExpressVPN encryption. And the, what I like is even someone like me, I, I started three years ago, um, just with one cl- clip, click of an app, you can get all your devices protected, your phones, your laptops, your tablets. And look, as you well know, with me dealing with super sensitive policy stuff, challenging the Uniparty, the Unisystem, um, it's important that I have it and and you as well, even if you don't do what I do, again, you all you know have business transactions, financial transactions, secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash conservative. And if you go there, expressvpn.com slash conservative, you can get three extra months free. So you're only really paying for nine months, very cheap. Um, again, you know, you might say it's free to use the internet, but it's not. You will pay for it in other ways that are a lot more than the subscription at expressvpn.com slash conservative. So folks, this is what people don't say. I'm sick of hearing all my colleagues today. They use the language, the parlance. Oh, the Uniparty, the Rhinos, Langford, terrible. Look at what he's doing, yada, yada. But what none of them will tell you, what none of them will tell you is that you have the leader of the party in your back pocket. We all say we have the greatest all-knowing, all-seeing, all-caring slayer of the uniparty. I'm sick of everyone using the language that I used long before they were even involved in politics. I was involved in these issues. I was involved in the budget fights. I was involved in the state legislatures. I was involved in every red state primary of, of, you know, of that's noteworthy. And they weren't there. And they still weren't there after 2016. I don't understand. Help me, help me out here. Help me out here. How come the entire Trump movement and Trump media, and that's what it is, let's just be honest, it's Trump media, because they only care about things, primaries, with regard to Trump, but nobody else. So that's Trump media. Again, you get what you fight for. Trump's going to win, you know, these primaries with 80%, and the Rhino establishment candidates down ballot will also win with, you know, 70 to 80%. So you get what you fight for. So it's Trump media. So here's what I don't understand. Trump has been the undisputed leader of this party for eight years. And, and, and you'll see why I'm talking about this. You're like, Daniel, shut up. The primary's over. I know, I know it's over. But what's not over are the down-the-ballot primaries where Trump is continuing to um, support bad guys. What's not over is some of the policies where we can get Trump involved on the right side and certainly get him off the wrong side. And what what people don't understand is the book of Esther. Where's your Esther moment? Standing, using your position, your platform, your influence for a time such as this. 
they're always like, Daniel, Trump is the undisputed leader of the party. You're not going to dislodge him. And they're very passionate about that. They're like, look, you know, he's getting he's going to get 80% of the vote and everyone supports him. Okay, I, I, I believe you. I agree. Trump has had a grip on this party like no other person in modern history for eight years. So how is it that we're still talking about a uniparty if he is if he has been in charge of the policy direction directly as president for four, but indirectly for eight? And his endorsements wield the most influence for four election cycles. I mean, I think, you know, I'm being facetious. We know how we are where we are. But something doesn't add up. It's like, Daniel, Lankford and um, McConnell and McCarthy, but then Trump endorsed McCarthy and is now fighting, not allowing a guy like Matt Rosendale to advance to the Senate precisely because he opposed Kevin McCarthy. Okay? So here's what I don't understand. There's the book of Esther. Okay, I'm sure most of you know that part of the Bible, but just a brief overview. That was one of the few times in history where almost all the Jews were in one empire. They weren't in very, maybe there were you know, a handful in Europe, but they were mainly in the Persian Empire around uh, 500, 400 um, BC. Okay, so we're talking about, about 2,500 years ago. And... Xerxes, King Xerxes uh, in the Persian Empire, uh, you know, elevated this guy Haman who wanted to wipe out all the Jews. And God orchestrated it that right before that, he, you know, Xerxes happened to get rid of his queen. There happened to be this woman named Esther, who was the most beautiful woman in the entire kingdom. And uh, the king laid eyes on her and was infatuated with her, you know, picked her as, her, as his queen. And what happened was Queen Esther, and, and, and he didn't know, or Haman didn't know who she was, but she happened to be Jewish. And she realized, well, wait a minute, you know, who is in charge of the Persian Empire? It's not Haman. It's not any other minister, any other senator. It's King Xerxes. Ashverosh is the name that's given in the in the book of Esther. Most believe it was King Xerxes. So it's like, well, well, wait a minute. He's in charge. I'm the queen. This guy, like, you know, I can melt his heart in three seconds. He loves me. So I'm going to intercede on behalf of my people and, and say, hey, you know, my people, we're getting we're getting slaughtered. King, don't you know it's your own your own forces, your own allies, your own. VP, your own, uh, you know, cabinet secretary is doing it. You love me, right? How come we haven't had this Esther moment for eight years with Trump? You say you're MAGA. Hey, we're your movement. We love you. You love me. How come you keep elevating these people and issues and policies that are taking us backwards from where we were before you were there? This is the biggest indictment of my colleagues, commensurate with how much they believe Trump believes in what you and I believe in, and he's anti-uniparty, and how close they are with him, and how much he wants to please them. 
That is how culpable they are in not utilizing their position and their influence for a time such as this. You can't have it both ways. Either Trump's a fraud or you're a fraud. We're both. This this shouldn't be going on. I'm sick of people. How do we have these people? We have every one of the, every one of these red state rhinos. Everyone. There's not a single exception. Is because Trump endorsed them at a pivotal moment. So I don't want to hear more about that. So the first thing, there's going to be two action items today. One is primaries, which my colleagues still aren't involved in. It's it's eerie. It's almost eerie. I had the challenger to Roger Wicker of Mississippi, and I will tell you, as much as I don't like Langford and opposed him from day one, Wicker is 10 times worse. He has Trump's endorsement, even though there's a Freedom Caucus challenger against him. I don't know a single one of the Trump big Mar-a-Lago people, if you know what I mean, and you know who these guys are, that's having Dan Eubanks on their show to help him raise money. Just know if that entire orbit would elevate Dan Eubanks and allow him to raise money and go up with ads and get Trump to rescind his endorsement. I can't promise you that Dan would win, but right now it's next to a 0% chance. And if they would do that, it would be at least 50%. And this has repeated itself over and over and over again. I'm sorry if this hurts, but it's the truth. So I'm going to say it. You know, a lot of my colleagues, they have this, what I call, or they try to evince this enlightened cynicism and this like, yes, we're, we're, we're on to you, GOP. Yes, we know the Uniparty. And meanwhile, people like us have been doing this for, you know, at least 15 years since uh, 20, 2009. But 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 yeah, they're, they're on. They just discovered this like Mitch McConnell's bed. By the way, they're all such heroes on McConnell. When I did this, every one of a lot of these guys are new. They weren't around, but the ones that were, they downright opposed me. And they were like, "What's your problem? Uh, you know, Obama's the problem. You know, you're weakening the party unity when we need to oppose Obama. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell is good. He's he's a good leader of the Senate. He's very strategic." When it actually mattered, then they were whatever. But now that Trump is the new McConnell times 100 because he wields so much more power over the hardcore base, you know, um, we're screwed. And suddenly they think that's good. That's the sleight of hand here. I'm going to read to you a guy called Non-Hyphenated American on Twitter. And he said the following. I've been saying this for eight years. If the Democrats wanted to do the following, infiltrate the GOP, create a semi-permanent civil war on the right, move the Overton window to the left on all major issues, fulfill the leftist caricature of what it means to be a conservative in every single behavioral way, alienate large swaths of America for a generation by his incendiary toxic rhetoric, bankrupt the RNC at the national level in many states, make the GOP the party of every insane conspiracy theory, what would they do different than sending Trump into the GOP to accomplish their goals? And I would add to that, also then endorsing the rhinos in red states. So you make us unelectable at the 50-yard line of American politics, but then, you know, the core kind of 
1020 on the other side, endorse all these rhinos. I don't know what else you would do. But it's funny, all my colleagues have this like cynicism and suspicion of everything except for the most obvious and influential thing. It's like, yeah, you know, Langford did this, oh, he did that. Well, I mean, why don't you intercede on behalf of Trump and get him to support our initiatives? Closed primaries, or better yet, state conventions. I've been pushing that forever. Trump could have done all of this. You're right, Trump owns the party. It's funny how... Trump owns the party when they want it, but then he's like an innocent bystander. He is the king of the right. He is the undisputed king of the Republican Party, conservative media, conservative organizations, conservative fundraising. And he has been for quite some time. You can't have it both ways. You know... Let, let me give you another example uh, that, that I think is worth, worthwhile to bring in here. South Dakota, suddenly there's a bill barreling through the legislature, HB 1198, to get rid of the state conventions. So basically, right now, they elect governor, senator, congressman, state legislature through popular primaries. And really, we should be doing all that through convention. But they do, the other statewide office holders like AG or Secretary of State and Lieutenant Governor, they actually do, um, there's no popular primary. They do through the nominating system at, at a convention. And the establishment is getting worried about that, that we're going to get better guys in. So they're barreling this bill in, HB 1198, to... Um, to get rid of the convention. So meaning at a time where really we should make everything a convention. In other words, we have um, like the, the, all three federal officials, Dusty Johnson is the congressman, Mike Rounds and John Thune is the senators. They are, they are leftists. So John Thune is the new younger Mitch McConnell and he likely will take over his position after this year as minority leader. And then Rounds and Dusty Johnson are, are to the left of Thune and McConnell, noticeably to the left of them, progressives. They'll continue to win re-election, but if we had a convention, they'd be gone. Again, this is the single biggest thing. If we had a movement, if we had Trump endorse this idea and that entire movement put their movement into conventions, we would remake the party overnight. That is the single biggest way of so-called creating a new party and it's really the only way why am i the only one pushing this just to show you how much i'm right about this so number one you see the fact that the establishment is pushing this and by the way let me just give you a rule of thumb generally there is some exceptions but 90 percent of the time if you have a very influential powerful governor and christy Nome certainly is that in south dakota very powerful very well liked among Republicans, whether we like it or not, because of um, she's a master of fraud. Um, you don't have bad bills move without her influence on it. And you don't have good bills not move without her influence on it. So if Christie was a grassroots person, was like, no, we need, we need conventions, this bill wouldn't have the steam it does. Let's just say that. But anyway... 
Until 1912, most states used the convention method during presidential election years. But that changed with the emergence of Teddy Roosevelt, the progressive leader. Historian Sidney Milkis wrote an article on this, and he observed that Roosevelt's crusade made universal use of the direct primary as a cause celebre. Roosevelt went on to win most of the primaries, but conservative William Howard Taft won the states that still had conventions. And he ultimately, because most still did in 2012, in 1912, that was the pivotal turning point year, he did win the GOP nomination. And obviously, um, Roosevelt was forced to uh, run his bull moose. And ultimately, they split the vote and the progressive vision was was actualized through uh, Democrat Woodrow Wilson. But it's no coincidence that progressives succeeded at changing the nominating process precisely as, to quote Milkis, newly emergent mass media became dominant in our political culture. That's exactly when mass media became dominant. And what happened was, so you could have just a demagogue that has charisma and money, and you could buy off a nomination, even though he's not loyal to the party's platform. So... You know, again, like people like Langford and Wicker and Kramer in North Dakota and Thune and Dusty Johnson and 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 all you know all these people, they would go down in, pri- in in primaries if it was at a state convention. Remember, even Mitt Romney, who was a presidential candidate and you know basically most well-known Mormon in America, when he ran for Senate in 2018 in Utah against Sean Kennedy random member of the legislature was unknown. Kennedy actually won the convention. But at that point, they already changed the law that you could bypass the convention if you get enough signatures to get a primary, which Romney did. I supported Kennedy. Donald J. Trump supported Romney. After Romney trashed him. So I don't want to hear this. It's always everyone else's fault but not the man himself. Why isn't he the Xerxes and why aren't you the Esther? There's no answer to that. But again, I want to look forward. So number one, we have the primaries. I just want to real briefly say where where we stand and then go back to the Langford Bill and immigration. So we have the August primaries in Missouri, a little bit far away. We have three Freedom Caucus members running for higher office. Bill Iger for governor, Denny Hoskins for secretary of state, and now Bob Onder just announced, he's another state senator, Bob Onder for Missouri 3. He's actually challenging Bill Lukatmeyer um, in Missouri 3. Again, imagine if we got Trump to endorse all three of them. We could have a revolution in Missouri. In South Carolina, we have coming up, we have Adam Morgan for District 4 against Timmins, and we have Stuart Jones for District 3, that's an open seat. Um, Again, this is not with the exclusion of other people. This is just what I have had time to kind of research, and, and people I've had on the show, or most of them, where's the Trump endorsement? In Texas, we have District 23, Rhino Tony Gonzalez in the southwest part of the state, big open borders guy. He's in the cycle. This is Super Tuesday. 
This is coming up in a month. Now, there are some other open seats there, and there are people filed to run against incumbents. I'm still trying to research, but I do know District 23. Um, Victor Avila is a former ICE agent. We had him on. He's a friend of mine. But I do know there are a few other people running. And the, the beauty of running against an incumbent in Texas is that you have runoffs. So, you know, you're, you're not, you don't have to worry about splitting the vote. As long as you have people not voting for the incumbent, you know, it can knock him below the 50% threshold. And then you just see which one emerges and support him. So, you know, if you like another guy, that's fine. Um, We have North Dakota House. We have Rick Becker, pretty much the founder of the Freedom Caucus equivalent in the legislature there. It's called the Bastiat Caucus. He's running for the open house seat. But unfortunately, the guy who's in the house, Kelly Armstrong, is running for governor. And we don't have a, yet have a good candidate. We have Matt Rosendale for Senate in Montana. But he's having trouble raising money because McCarthy, McConnell, and the and the MAGA world are supporting a, a rhino against him. Obviously, you have the reelect of Bob, Bob Good in Virginia 5. We have Arkansas 3. Every one of the Arkansas congressmen is a rhino, but he's the only one. Uh, Steve Womack in, in District 3 is the only one who is a, who has a, um, he has drawn a primary challenger, State Senator Clint Penzo. So these are people I could vouch for. There's a lot more than that. But, but those are some of the key ones. Again, even without state conventions, Trump himself is almost like a state convention if he were to actually use his clout for the right purposes and people would use their clout with him to get him on message. So that's where we stand with the primaries. But let's go back to, to immigration. So if we, if we actually took the Langford betrayal to heart, this is what we would do. Okay, we would focus on, you know, certainly you know, making it clear that he won't be able to even stand for re-election 2028, but that's far away. But get rid of the equivalent guys now. But remember, I would be surprised, especially now that Wicker staff knows that I have endorsed Dan Eubanks. I'd be surprised if Wicker is going to come out in support of the Langford bill now, even though he's actually to the left of him. This is the game they play in cycle. And they they try to get on Fox News and that Lindsey Graham did this to a T. Again, Lindsey Graham is on his fourth term. And Lindsey's actually up in 2026, so he's up sooner. Like I said, you know, I request my life, King. My people, stand up for my people, King. Do we have a critical mass of all those names? Again, will Charlie Kirk and Steve Bannon be able to go? I'm just listing two. There's more than them. Could they go up to Trump and say, Mr. Trump, we need you need to make it clear to Lindsey Graham that you will support someone against him or at a minimum not endorse him when he's up in 2026 so we can get you know, one of the Freedom Caucus guys to run for that Senate seat. I don't understand why that doesn't happen. Either they're frauds or Trump is irrevocably a leftist and they can't convince him or they don't have the clout that they clearly claim to have. <laughs> one of those has to be true. Doesn't make sense because I could tell you that anyone that I have a modicum of influence with 
I'm in their face about all this stuff. <laughs> so anyway, the Lankford bill. Um, it, it's not even, look, I, I have a column out today, Lankford border bill permanently legalizes the invasion, um, where I go through all the provisions in it or most of the bad ones. But the bottom line is it has nothing to do with this or that. It's the entire premise of the bill is the problem. And that leads us to what we need to do going forward. You see, immigrate the, the problem is not the written law. The, the, the premise of this entire negotiation and discussion presupposes that current law demands this outcome that we're seeing today. Demands it, commands it, legalizes it, mandates it, when in fact it's not true. The laws aren't perfect. But generally speaking, the INA is good. It's our legal immigration system that we bring in too many people that was broken by Hart Seller and then again the 1990 Schumer bill. Um, but in terms of the border, um, th there's nothing that compels this. And in fact, we tightened up the INA in 2006 where we mandate that within 18 months of passage, so that was 20, that would have been 2008, that the DHS has to take all actions necessary to achieve and maintain operation control over the entire international land and maritime borders. And Section 2B of that bill defines operational control as the prevention of all, all unlawful entries, including entries by terrorists, other unlawful aliens, instruments of terrorism, narcotics, and other contraband. But, you know, it's not just drugs and terrorists. It's all unlawful aliens. Zero. So, you know, there's nothing there. You have to do all of it. Um, 8 U.S.C. 1225 B2A says that in the case of an alien who is an applicant for admission, if the examining immigration officer determines that an alien seeking admission is not clearly and beyond a doubt entitled to be admitted, meaning like he has a visa, he's coming in with a, a document, um, the alien shall be detained for a removal proceeding. Has to be detained. And even someone applying for asylum, AUSC 1226A is where asylum law is. DHS has full ability to detain them pending a decision on whether the alien is to be removed. So now in the law, obviously it gives discretion to them to give a leniency if they want. It's certainly right. So, um, you know, for example, obviously our laws are you can't barge into the country. You have to come at a port of entry and have some sort of document that you've been issued to, you know, for admission, a border crossing uh, uh, a card or, or a visa, right? You can never crash between a port of entry or come at, at a port of entry if you don't, if you didn't apply and get granted the proper documentation. <laughs> All right? I mean, that, that is the law. Don't, don't, don't think otherwise. Now, it just over the years, so our laws weren't written for malfeasant governments that violate the social compact. So you'll have here and there where you'll have the discretion, like you have a guy that's about to be, you know, uh, you know, their head cut off by a government or something like, yeah, you know, we have the discretion case by case to give you asylum, to give you, um, uh, you know, parole and to even allow you to work and remain undetained in the country. We allow that grace. It's not mandated. 
But over the years, what all the administrations have done, both Republican and Democrat, along with the courts, is drive a truck through those those discretionary clauses and basically mandate it that anyone could apply, even if you have millions of people invading at once. And, and, and you know, we're going to and then they could even petition the courts and the courts turn discretionary leniencies into mandated leniencies. And that's where we are today. It has nothing to do with the laws. Right. It's it's the way they're practiced that we have an administration that is working with the cartels so much so that they want to subvert and defeat Texas's own border security. So the whole premise of negotiating law changes is 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 offensive. So obviously, as you well know, what this bill does just in totality is it actually legalizes de facto um, up to 5,000 illegals a day, meaning in addition to a million illegals, a million, a million legal immigrants, and another million, roughly a million student visas, and roughly another million worker visas. It expands H-1B family visas. It has another 50,000 green cards, so that was thrown into. And then it tolerates up to 5,000 before triggering an emergency at the border. So that, that would be 1.8 million. <laughs> See, this is the beauty of how they move the Overton window over. That we're now used to a flow of 3, 4, 5 million. Oh, so, so here we're nice. And then we trigger an emergency where the president could expel. But here's the deal. Under current law, the president could expel anyone. 212, that's section 212F, right? Could expel anyone, of course. And certainly not let anyone in. But this will actually codify that basically the expectation that they can go to court and petition for it under that. And even over that, there's all these exceptions. There's an even bigger asylum process now that they could all um, petition, be released. Um, and they have all these appeals and 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 and, and uh, even if the uh, DHS wanted to turn them down, which this administration wouldn't. But it actually makes it harder for a future good president. You have you have to write, have put in writing and notification all the reasons and notify them of their appeal rights, all over the place. Um, page 26, 27 of the bill mandates that those seeking asylum shall be shall be released from physical custody. When again, under current law, they have to be detained, or certainly they can be detained. And then the DHS secretary allows anyone to be granted parole with an urgent humanitarian reason, which they believe they're all, they all meet that criteria. Again, this is even with the shutoff provision. And then finally, the shutoff only works for, for what is it, 270 days? Um, something like that. 270 days. So it's basically designed to expire when, if we would have a new Republican president like Trump, let's say next year, I mean, assuming he'd get reelected, he'd get elected. So Trump would then be saddled with all the leniencies, but the so-called stringent provisions um, all expire. But again, this is all a waste of time to go through this because they, they violate and vitiate current law. So now you have a bunch of leniencies and then a couple of stringencies. 
But so they'll just pocket the leniencies. And then now what's worse is, I'm sure a lot of you have heard by now, right now, a lot of them go to Texas. Texas is under the auspices of the conservative Fifth Circuit. It routes all the cases to the D.C. Circuit, which is the January 6th Circuit. They're they're demonic as hell. So so any question over interpretation will go to them. Oh, and by the way, it gives the NGOs $1.3 billion for alternatives to detention, which will be a handout to the NGOs engaging in smuggling, allowing to resettle them, their refugee resettlement groups. It also funds legal help for them so they can go and, you know, and, and by the way, they've done this with every bill since the 2006 bill to 2013 bill. They they have all these like special exception clauses and terminology of when you could use asylum and parole and an emergency and humanitarian and then they fund legal help to make sure they litigate it. And in this case, in the most liberal circuit, it's brilliantly writ- written. Um, it also mandates training on de-escalation and non-lethal use of force for border agents. Um, and uh, Oh, it also codifies the Flores Agreement. If you remember under Trump, that was what the courts were using to say you have to release the children. The children, right? Because um, what they did is they all smuggled in children because they said basically Flores made it impossible to detain them. You could detain them, but it has to be in the least restrictive manner in facilities that were impossible. And then they would flood the zone with so many of them. So they would say you have to release them. And then once you had to release them, then the parents came too and they said you couldn't divide up the parents. That's what they did under Trump, the Ninth Circuit and everything. And everyone agrees, like, you got to fix Flores. It codifies the Flores settlement. It's a 1997 Ninth Circuit uh, agreement. California district judge and the Ninth Circuit ratified it, codified it. Um, and as we well know, the, the, the teenagers are the worst. These are your MS. The MS-13, we're like, oh, the children. Honestly, they're the worst human beings. Like, I'll take the 50-year-olds. The, the eight, 16, 17-year-old boys coming across are your MS-13 recruitment. That's our MS-13 crisis in this country. And by the way, they are all resettled, all leniency. And in fact, the those numbers don't even go towards the 5,000. So in order to count the 5,000 to even trigger the emergency authority, which in itself has all these exceptions, um, the UACs don't count. Oh, and then I forgot. I almost forgot the biggest thing. Biden could suspend the emergency. Meaning, so you get to 5,000 in a week, you know, every day for a week, it triggers the emergency, but he could suspend it and say, well, you know, there's an emergency of the emergency. I'm not kidding you. And then also it has a provision in the bill to expand Afghan visas. Every bill they do that. The people that helped us in Afghanistan. So 100,000 Afghan animals weren't enough to let in. And then, of course, that's what we get. That's the conservative part of the bill. In return, Democrats get another $60 billion for Ukraine. And then there's money for Israel. But there's also money. There's another $10 billion for Hamas in Gaza. I mean, so again, this is how much these guys hate us. And even, you know, the Republican senators, you know, that maybe will ultimately say they have like Cornyn says he has serious questions. He fundamentally supports it. He's just worried about a primary. Tim Scott so far has said nothing, but but that's MAGA. He's great. So I want to come back to that and Trump and MAGA for a minute. 
But here is the important thing. So A, we should focus on primaries. But B, all my colleagues are going to be making fun of the Langford bill. Rightfully so, we all agree. But are you focusing on it in the way that it matters? See, the Langford bill is an Overton window bill. So right now, we have enough illegal immigration to destroy our country and society 10 times over. So it's like, I say, I'm going to drop 10 nuclear bombs on your country. And then, then I have a bill to drop 13 nuclear bombs in your country. And they're like, well, you know, that, that's dead on arrival in the house. Well, yeah, but we're already dead. Like, <laughs> I, I, now Mike Johnson gets to look like a hero for blocking the bill. But that was never going to get off the ground. What should be happening is Mike Johnson needs to be pressured to deal with the status quo, that he needs to have a defund fight on the status quo. We don't need the Lankford bill to pass to have a crisis at the border. We already have the invasion. His would make it worse, but it already is as bad as it can get. We need two things. We need a funding fight and we need governors to go and stand up to this. But the problem is all these governors, all these rhinos, they went to the border on Saturday. Oh, we back Abbott. We have his back. All the photo ops. Christy Nome goes and 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 has a joint. She gives a speech in front of a joint session of the South Dakota House and Senate. Now, why would you give a speech uh, like an emergency speech on something that technically is not in the state? I and mean, well, it is. We're going to get to that. But it's at the border. Well, presumably, because you want to push legislation. And I call upon you guys to do what? There is not a single piece of legis legislation percolating through that chamber. And it's very quick. It's almost over. It's a five-week session. They're actually past the deadline to introduce bills in South Dakota. Now, leadership has all their shell bills that you could use if they want to. If Christie actually called in a bill, they'd be able to do it. How about banning transport of illegals in the state. How about mandatory e-verify? Notice she doesn't talk about that. So this is the this is the David Copperfield sleight of hand magic trick. Yeah, Langford. So, so she's all over TV now talking about the border and Abbott and how Langford is terrible. By the way, she was a colleague of his in the House in 2010 to 2014 era and was the same thing. But notice... She will not move a single bill. Her legislature is about to leave session. Will not move a single bill to disincentivize it in her own state. And ditto for the other ones. This is the joke. This is what I hate when the dog catches the car. This is the new Overton window. This is the new controlled opposition where everyone's like, oh, the McConnell and the Uniparty and Langford and it's terrible, the invasion. But we don't focus on the things that will actually effectuate it within our sphere of influence and pressure. Pressure Trump to stop endorsing rhinos, in fact, endorsed the other way around. Pressure governors to take Florida and Texas's immigration bills, pass them, and pass even better. And Mike Johnson, see, this was the game. I warned, I warned you about this a year ago. We go and take over the house. So of course, the minute you take over the house, you should stop hemorrhaging of bad things passing. You're not gonna have a new bad bill pass. But now you have the leverage to hold up the budget to force good change. So they started working on the supplemental. And I said, look, it's probably not going to pass. It's so egregious. 
but it's designed to move the Overton window, so we get all distracted. Oh, the Langford! Oh, we defeated the Langford Bill. Well, what do you mean? Right now we have an invasion, so that basically codifies it into law. But now we have de facto invasion from Biden doing it. We need states banning illegal immigration, and we need a budget fight, and we could have the two simultaneously. And we need Trump to call on supporting both of those initiatives, plus endorsing against all these guys in primaries. That, my friends, that, my friends, is what it means to fight the Uniparty. But then again, only someone who has actually been fighting it before it was cool and continued to fight it after their idol became the greatest manifestation of the Uniparty. Only someone like that is going to think of these things. Now, just real quick before we sew up, a couple more action items. Speaking of South Dakota, we got here a couple of important bills I want to point out. HB 1219 from John Hansen bans eminent domain for carbon capture, so make sure to push that if you're in South Dakota. HB 1221 from Ben Cromer, a friend of mine. Um, It's a full ban on all public and private um, vaccine mandates in South Dakota. Notice again, Christy Nome is not supporting the carbon capture bill. She's not support. See, this is how she gets away with this. She will not support a ban on vaccine mandates. But she's now a hero. And HB 1192, also from Ben Cromer, death penalty for, for child rape. So what Christie does is she knows that there's only a handful of conservatives. Um, leadership, you know, the Senate pro temp is her ally. She's very close with them. They just quietly kill all these bills, don't allow a hearing on them, and she skates away without ever being forced to either confront, her, you know, vote, you know, uh, sign a bill against the wishes of her uh, special interest and donors, or be forced to go on the other side. She learned her lesson after the female sports bill. And now she's just running up and Fox News and the rhetoric. But when she actually has power, she won't use it. And nobody who has influence over her will pressure her. And that's how we get to our final story of the day. Trump name drops Tim Scott and Christy Nome as VP. Okay. Trump had a pre-recorded interview with Maria Bartiromo Sunday. We have so many great people in the Republican Party. <laughs> We've had so many great people in the Republican Party. Yeah, he loves all of them. They're all good. They're all good. But he name-dropped. I called Tim Scott this week because a lot of people like Tim Scott. A lot of people like him. I called him and I said, you are a much better candidate for me than you are for yourself. I watched over the last two weeks and, you know, he endorsed me, fully endorsed me, gave me a beautiful endorsement. And he has been really strong in terms of that. But I don't want anybody to take even any inference, but it's incredible. Then he name dropped Christy Nome. She's been an incredible fighter for me. Folks, open your freaking eyes how toxic this man is. I, I understand he won the nomination. I understand the primary's over. But is it too much to ask that you say no to Christy Noman, Tim Scott? At least pick a guy more like J.D. Vance or something. 
that at least pretends to be manga. I, I, I just don't get it. Is it too much to ask? He's doing it right in front of our eyes. It's all about me, me, me. He said beautiful things about me. So does it take a genius to figure out that the newer Republicans got smarter and like, hey, let's just say nice things about him, but continue to operate the way we do as chambercrats and we'll be heroes and we'll be able to box out the small grassroots insurgency we were dealing with pre-Trump and now they'll be irrelevant. This is something we could decide ir irrespective of what you're going to do November 5th. That's a long time away. I know he won the primary. But the fact that he won the primary so decisively is all the more of an indictment of the fact that you don't use his stature as king of the party, king of right-wing media, to actually get a good VP, get good personnel around him, get good cabinet picks, get good endorsements, get him to make the right plays on the budget bills and speakers' races and RNC races and things like that. And stop allowing these same Republicans who have screwed us for so many years to make a mockery out of us and anally rape us while they go on Fox News and, and toss out the cheap rhetoric. Well, Daniel, not everyone's as clever as you and knows all this stuff. But if you are a leader, a conservative thought leader, if you have five times, ten times the audience and the following and earn 50 times the money I do, don't you have an even greater obligation to focus on your sphere of influence? Both the people, educating the voters, pressuring the rhino Republicans, and just like Esther, interceding on behalf of what you claim are your people and your prerogatives. Hey, Trump, you might not know, but you're, you're Viceroy. Your leaders, your, your hand-picked guys are, are killing our people and our initiatives. Don't you know? I thought, I thought we're friends. How come that doesn't happen? Well, I'll tell you. I'm going to focus on the issues that matter, but in the way they matter and at the time they matter, headed in the right direction. Where is the primaries headed? Where is the immigration issue headed? What could we do with the power we claim to have? And there's a lot. And that's just the way it is. Folks, till tomorrow, Micah 6-8. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening. <laughs>